The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. It's the question that's on everyone's mind. How do you live a good life? How much do work, health, relationships matter? What about happiness, meaning, money, and love? What if you're alone or anxious, ill or in pain? These are the questions we explore weekly on the top-ranked Good Life Project podcast. Hosted by me, award-winning author, four-time industry founder, and perpetual seeker, Jonathan Fields. Every week, I sit down with world-renowned experts, iconic writers, and researchers. And while everyone from Olympic gold medalists to world-shaking activists, A-list celebs, musicians, and more, all with a single goal, to help understand what it truly takes to live a good life and to feel a little less alone along the way. Listen to the Good Life Project podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. You're listening to Pop, the History Makers, with me, Steve Blame. Well, Wolfgang Fleur, welcome. I have to say, I've been thrilled and excited to be the receiver of your emails over the the past few weeks um, and to know how much you are excited about your success of this album, Magazine One, and to be part of that. And that has been been something wonderful because I love the fact that someone who has been so successful in their life can, can appreciate that sort of success as well. Um, I'm going to come on to, I want to connect that to something in a second, but um, I just want to say that I believe you've created a masterpiece, and I will probably come to that through the questions that I asked during this interview. But I want to start with this. You're one person who seems to be able to appreciate the moments in life. You appreciate the small things like a landscape, a sandwich. Uh, You you appreciate the big things as well. And have you always lived in the moment? And when did you start appreciating the moment? I think so, yes. It is my education. I think um, um, I was always a very vivacious boy, um, given from my mother, I think, and my brothers were too. So I was, I was not, or, or better said, um, I was different to my twin brother. So we are not from one egg, we are different eggs. So he was more uh, the foreseeing guy and he was thinking about everything, resuming and, um, you know, um, he was analyzing everything. So I was more, so the forward guy, you know, and I did what I wanted to do. I had always pressure in handicraft and and thinking and and a lot of imaginary in my head. So um, there was no time for thinking over if it is good or bad, I just did always what I wanted to do in that very moment. So in the moment, 
uh, you think about it, this moment is already gone and the next is the future. So <laughs> there's no time uh, to think about a lot. And if, if, you, if, you, if you think too long, it's gone. So ideas must be fulfilled in this very moment you have them. And in music and in lyrics writing, this is very important. Well, the idea of, of uh, a magazine, a magazine is in essence a moment in time. It's, it's a sort of snapshot of the society at any given moment from the point of view of the people that are involved in the magazine, from the editor's point of view. And if we take that analogy sort of further to obviously your album, Magazine One, uh, then it feels like it is a snapshot of you at a particular time, in essence, almost the present when it was made. Um, and it's a snapshot of your views and how you see the world and everything like that. Is that um, how you see it in terms of its concept? Yeah, that's absolutely correct, Steve. So even if we used um, the last five years, but my, in, in my age, five years is a snapshot, you know, and the feelings and the storage which came in my life, in my head, that were very important to me, um, especially the last song. The crazy thing is when we talked the last time, it was the reason was uh, of war, you remember. Um, it was The Little Child, my first song after Kraftwerk, and we had the Bosnian war, you know, that was the first time we met and spoke together. You interviewed me the first time in my life. You were the one to interview me. When was that? On the on the Cologne Fair? On, on the, on the that was, would have been in the late 90s, wouldn't it, I think? Yeah, maybe. And now, again, um, we have another thing, another war also in Europe. And uh, I have prepared a song for that, but not in the sight of a war, because when we started, uh, that song, the last song on the album, we had no war in the Ukraine. So this is, um, there's no coincidence, but uh, it happened. So we speak again about war. Is that not crazy? Well, I think there are, there, okay, there's no coincidence, but I think this is a zeitgeist in a sense that you yeah. have created this track and referring obviously to the Second World War, but maybe you can tell me because it's called Say No and uh, it has a poem by Wolfgang Borchardt um, featured on it, which you which you wonderfully speak on it, or the excerpts of that poem. Can you tell me a little bit about Borchardt and why he and his poetry was important to you? Yes, I love I love Wolfgang Borchardt's poetry since since I can remember since my youth. We had them in my school. Maybe I was seventeen. Uh, I discovered. Uh, the lyrics of him with our German teacher, he brought it to us and the short sentences about war and all his uh, descriptions, what, what, he, um, what he has experienced with war as a soldier, that really hurt my heart. And, uh, and also his, his writing style was much to my, um, uh, it was much, but, uh, much to my delight. I learned writing from him because I write today my own books and stories and always copied a little bit of him. But um, I make book readings from his books in churches in Germany, in schools, in clubs sometimes. And it's always a big success that people like how I am reading him. I lend him my voice because we, I, I, I think we are brothers. He, was, uh, he died in the same year when I was born. So I, I was born in uh, 1947 in July and he died in the same year in, in October with his first big uh, uh, tale, which was uh, played in a theater in Hamburg then, 
uh, the outside man, also out draußen vor der Tür. That was his most famous uh, tale. And many of them were filmed, I think, also. But this track, which we, which I have chosen for my album, I, I always wanted to, to have him um, as a tune and um, in, in, in music, you know. And when I uh, worked with Peter and his partner, who sent uh, us that little soundtrack, which inspired me immediately, extremely at once. This is the music. Uh, it was just a little soundtrack, you know, but it hit my heart and said, this is fitting for Wolfgang Borscher tales. And um, it was perfect for me. I was so, I was, as the English said, flabbergasted when I heard it, you know, and, it, and then, and then I, I practiced with my microphone here on the side uh, for two days to get the right, um, um, the right mood to, 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 to think I am Wolfgang, you know, I, I always do when I'm on stage and I try uh, to bring his voice to the people. I think I'm his brother, you know. And I think we did a good, uh, a good work with this song. I mean, he rebelled against the uh, Nazi dictatorship. He was a young man at the start of the war. I mean, it's yeah. quite fascinating, uh, his story. And he passed around uh, literature when he was in the Bundeswehr, the, the conscripted German army um, yes. during the war. And he was part of a movement called Trummel Literatur, which is rubble literature, if you translate it into English. And you were born into the rubble after the Second World War in Germany, weren't you? Um, What impact does it have on you if you're on an age where you were born so close to a war and you're in the remnants, you're born into the remnants of that war. What effect do you think that has had on your whole life? That was not too much because uh, we were children, little children, and we played in the streets of Frankfurt, which was completely uh, uh, broken, which was down by the Allied troops from the bombs. And um, our house in Frankfurt, Sachsenhausen was not bombed, fortunately. So we lived there with my whole family and my great grandmother, and we had a wonderful life with children. The children, the streets were full of children. After the war, the families made children after children because we had so less. Most of the the young men were, uh, died in, in the war, so Germany needed new generations. You know, so um, I, I I cannot believe that we were unhappy then. Uh, we did not know what happened be, uh, before us. So. Sometimes uh, we found some some dead uh, soldiers in, in in the rubbish houses where, where we were always uh, running around in in the cellar and so on, searching for some things. It was really really spooky. My childhood we had nothing to play, but in the streets in summer they were very hot always, absolutely uh, hot. And yeah, we, we didn't need much. So war was not always in in our brain. That that that, that is the result because we did not know anything else. Uh, uh, I mean, a clean city, we did not know that. Uh, at first later when I became, um, I was in school and we had uh, some history lessons about war and I was 16, I think my, uh, my, my brain started to, to become interest in, in, the, in, in the past of Germany, why all of these things happened. And um, uh, the, with the Jewish and, um, everything but what was so nasty then you know and then as i started to get more interest in literature about it i read and i read and my heart broke twenty thousand times you know 
and um, I became full of hate against my father's generation. It was very hard, and it led to that that I um, that I quit my uh, my war, uh, my my um, my my um, services which I had to do. I, the army was calling for me when I was seventeen or eighteen, I think, and it was not so easy then um, to get through that. I had a big law case. And um, I have to explain my feelings, why I did not want to take a gun in my hand. I, I swore to the, to the judge, I never would do this. And if you would not allow me to make something different, like a civil service in the hospital, maybe, I was prepared for that already, I would go also into the jail. So don't call me to them. I would never take, I'm not able to this. I'm very sensitive, I'm an artist and uh, forget it. So at least uh, the four, four young men in, on that afternoon, all of them lost. I was the only one who was allowed to, uh, to uh, go to the hospital and have a, uh, yeah, a civil service. How did that hate to your father's generation express itself? Did you confront your father? Did you confront yes, people of his generation? What did you say? Yeah, I, I said, Papa, I don't go to the military. You can do what you want. And he said, yeah, you are too childish. I know, you, you go, go to there and you become a real tough man. I said, I don't need that. I'm an artist, I'm a musician. And my father was not so much in, in, um, yeah, in arts, you know, my mother more. My, my mother had nothing against that, but my father was really strong and my, my both brothers were, were always taken before me. Um, look, do you always have to do your own thing? Do you do, you do do you have to have your own head? He asked me always. I said, why not? Because I don't want it. So he was very strong and he was very uh, majestic. So um, I was always different to my brothers. They were easy handling, I not. So what, uh, what role did you have? Against my father. My father was my first winning. So I fought it against him. What role know. then did music play in your early life? Was it a form of escape? Or was it a form of protest? What, what sort of, what role was it for you? Music was always joy to me because, you know, I, I, I'm, I grew up with music. My parents, uh, they're very, um, uh, they lived a party life <laughs> in the weekends. It was my mother. She was very vivacious. She was very beautiful and she loved to dance. And they met uh, often parties in our home because there were no clubs, no discotheques in the 50s, you know. And they invited friends and they made dinner and they danced afterwards. They made the German bowler, that is wine with fruit, you know. And they got drunken, of course, and uh, it was louder and louder and happier. And I always heard this wonderful uh, melodies of the South American um, music, which my mother liked from rumba and mamba, zamba and uh, foxtrot and this style of music, which is very, very full of melodies. And this, uh, I think this really trained me and this uh, influenced me in all my life. This is which I still have in me. And this is why I also was happy with Kraftwerk because they had so romantic melodies in their music compared with technique to, to record it technically, not with nature instruments, but with um, synthesizers, and uh, which is not really a natural sound, but uh, it, it, could, it could sound natural if you have the right turns, you know, um, knobs and the filters. But anyway, um, the melodies was it. 
which inspired me most of them. And um, then I noticed that's that's already in me. And afterwards, when I left Kraftwerk, it was still me, but I had to invent it. I have to to refine and to invent me completely new after my split with them, because I was only a drummer boy then, as you remember. And uh, to find myself, I had to have, I think, this, this hard um, confrontation with the war in Bosnia then when we met. I had just uh, made my first song and my first lyrics for the children of uh, Sarajevo and this little child track that made me a bit proud and we wanted to make this benefit track for them. And I must say today, at least it helped me more instead of them to find my musicality and my melody making. I mean, another um, connection to Borshak, just I just finished with a point about him, is that he tore up and threw away his early poems because he was looking at his legacy and saying the early stuff wasn't as good as the later stuff. And I would like to leave my later stuff so people understand my legacy, which is apparently what he did. In many ways, I feel that this album, although it's not tearing up your early stuff by to any extent, it is almost like a reinvention and incorporation of the early stuff to say, this is more important and this is me, which is why I think this is such a fantastic album so it's sort of you know I just want to draw comparisons between you and Borchardt in terms of what he did and what I feel that you have done do you see it in that way or do you see it completely different no it's completely as you say and I mean I was growing up and I increased my abilities a lot over the years and also with the help of my friends I learned a lot from from my first uh, uh, collaborators or co-producers uh, like uh, Andy Thoma when we produced my first album, uh, Time Park. He was one of the, the most important um, artists I ever met in my life and this was so helpful for me. And after that, for the second album with, um, with some other um, musicians I worked with, friendly guys, you know, friendliness is always an important thing to me, otherwise work is not, not uh, possible. But um, uh, Stefan Lindler, we made a lot of songs for uh, my for my second album, um, Eloquence, and some collaborators, which I worked with, you know, all of this helped me to find my way more and more. And as I said, increasing my uh, abilities uh, has also to do with my uh, education, of my, my sight of the world and every experience I had on the street, on the streets through my life. And also my wife, who is Turkish, we live now since 25 years together. So we have Silberne Hochzeit this year. I could not believe that we stayed together so long, you know, and I learned so much about her and her culture, even if we have no, not so much uh, Turkish melodies inside. But uh, she likes my music and she also says, you changed so much since the time pie. And uh, it was that year when we came together since uh, 1997. So um, she also sees that. Um, I, I think um, people must have a, a street on, on their artistic life to collect everything what can be uh, valuable for their work, you know. So um, the friends which I collected on my way, they are the most important and the valuable um, 
thing uh, I, I can ever um, uh, announce today, especially Peter Dugal, who is my uh, partner and my, my musical friend since five years. He is from England. He is, he is in Birmingham born and he lives in a small town, Hepton Bridge. And we work uh, from, since five years, we work together on this album. Not all tracks on this are with him, because meanwhile, I had also started with uh, Hayu Leverance from U96 and his partner Ingo. And we already had uh, made some collaborations for their album. And um, I took some of their tracks and changed them completely to different themes with my lyrics and my melodies inside. So they were pretty astonished what I made with their soundtracks, you know, at least they come from the techno music, you know, and they never made pop music, never made so much with lyrics and uh, strophes and verses and, and choruses. So th this, this is, a, this is um, something what I learned very good. I, I, I know very well what a pop song has to transport, what has to be inside to have, a, um, 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 to, to tell a good story inside. So, I mean, you must be a, a, a storyteller in the first sight. You must have a theme, something to tell to the people. If you sing or if you speak, no matter. But if you don't have anything to sell, you, you are a musician and make soundtracks. This is how I met Peter. Peter's soundtracks really uh, touched me. I heard them on SoundCloud. He recommended me uh, some, some uh, codes. I loaded them down. I said, wow, this is something really good. This is film music to me. I have very good ideas when I hear something. I'm inspired. And then my imagination is spreading and, and glimmering and, you know, and suddenly I have an idea, a theme to it. And that first that was the first um, we worked on Birmingham, a city in England, the second, uh, you, you know, Birmingham. I mean, I fell in love with Birmingham, not only because it's the hometown and the birth town of Peter, his huge family is living there. I was invited so often to this wonderful and friendly people. And I played pretty often in clubs, my Musik Soldat live show there and always had good experiences. So uh, when I heard the soundtrack, which was already uh, named uh, from Peter Birmingham, I said, let's make a pop song from it. Oh, would, would you mind? I said, yes, of course, it's important, you know, it's your city. And by the way, uh, I shortly found out that my birth town, Frankfurt, and his birth town, Birmingham, are partner cities since many years. So why not doing songs about our birth cities, which anyway are partners now? Incre incredible, huh? But also that Dusseldorf is considered, you know, sort of a yeah. glass city and Birmingham is a glass city. Did you understand Birmingham in that way when you were there? Because also right, Dusseldorf, yeah. I don't know whether it's the fifth or sixth largest city in, in, in Germany. And Birmingham is always considered, you know, the second or third city in, in Britain. Yeah. So it has some sort of connection in that way. Yeah, even if, if Düsseldorf has a bit more glass and more steel and more aluminium because it was nearly totally broken down as Frankfurt. So we had to, um, to rebuild it and um, made it a bit, a bit more modern than Birmingham. But I love cities which are half and half, you know. I would love to have some more old houses in Düsseldorf uh, from, from the last century or so. Um, I, unfortunately, we don't have. Uh, at any case, it helped us with Kraftwerk to make modern music which fitted to our neighborhood or to our surrounding. 
uh, everything what artists do describe their surrounding where we grow up. That, that's for sure. And if we have a nice nature and this wonderful, lovely, romantic rhyme, everything uh, floats into our musical work, you know, it's inspiring. I mean, before we get onto the track, Birmingham, I just want to talk about the artwork, which is obviously behind you. And uh, of course, this is a podcast. I, I, I will show some of this on, uh, on yeah. social media. But because this is a podcast, people can't see it instantly. But it's also a combination between the old uh, and the new. And it's the rebirth. It's, it's got lots of sort of, you know, meanings within that. And it was uh, created by a friend of yours, Marcus Luix. Marcus Luix, yes. Marcus Luix is a longtime friend from me. He's a photographer and um, a um, graphic artist. And um, I learned him, uh, I met him the first time also in the same uh, year when I met my wife. We, she was my girlfriend then. And she introduced me to him. And she said, he's just in the end of his studies and he must make a book or anything for his last work for his professor. And then I had already written my book about my uh, time with Kraftwerk. I was a robot with this title. And I asked uh, Markus if he can make the layout for the book uh, for the publisher. And he got a little money from them. And uh, that was his first work. And I was really very, very happy. Since then I know him. And I also uh, can uh, experience and uh, see how he uh, developed with everything he does with photos. He makes big, big exhibitions in Dusseldorf meanwhile, and he, he writes books about Dusseldorf and other books. And he made, since then, he made every artwork which, which I needed in books and albums, in sleeves. And um, this, this, uh, this cover from Magazine One, which uh, I have bought on, on, a, uh, on, an, on an exhibition, it's behind me, one meter to one meter in this size, uh, made me immediately accept this is very good fitting to my album, which was, uh, the working title was Calibrators then. And I saw these two buildings as completely different characters, as collaborators trying to do something new, the old and new, and which always happened. Um, Let's go back in uh, 1997, uh, when I was with uh, Andy Thomas, he was young, I was old. Uh, so I was the brick, uh, the, the, the broken house, and he was the new house. He was the steel guy. He was modern and so. But we did something new together, which it fitted. And he said, we learned so much from you, Wolfgang, because we never go prepared into a recording session. We, we, we play daily mood. We go on our synthesizer and we play daily mood, you know? And afterwards we think, Oh, what, what, what can we call it? Um, orange thing or so, yeah. And I said, I come always completely prepared with a theme, with lyrics and melodies in my head. And I explain my collaborators uh, what should happen inside. And so we start pretty good compared. It's, it's easier then to come to results, you know. Yeah, with this, with, this, uh, uh, with this picture, which I bought from him, he, uh, he gave me uh, the permission that I can use it on my album. That made him proud, of course. And um, then we, we had a, um, a celebration, I think it was in a restaurant. We sat all together with my friends and we spoke about that new album with all these different themes inside. And I said, uh, he asked me, he did not hear any one of them. We were in the draft uh, period. And I said, I can send you some drafts tomorrow. 
And when he heard them, he said, yeah, Wolfgang, you, what you spoke yesterday, that you have so many different themes, and he said, you, you leave like, like, like a paper mag or so, then call it magazine. My God, it is a magazine. It's an audio magazine, not collaboration. Shit, forget that. It's magazine, you know, and it, you can leave through it, and every page has another theme, like, in, like People's Magazine or any other thing, you know? And he said, wonderful. Why did you not say that before? <laughs> so that the, the theme was born, you know, and now we have magazine one and magazine two is already prepared for next year. Mean, meanwhile, I think nearly 80% finished. Now, you said, you said, you know, it could have been called collaborators. It could have been called collaborators and lots of guests <laughs> yeah. because there are yeah, immense amount of guests. If we look at yeah. Birmingham, you've got uh, uh, Peter Hook, who's... Yeah. Uh, from Manchester, I mean, you know, <laughs> Joy Division and New Order. It's a wonder that it's a it's a wonder that we want him because the crazy thing is Andy McClaskey did not want to sing the song because he's from Liverpool and he did not want to sing to sing a song about Birmingham, so he was against it. So I'm friendly with him, but Claudia did it very well, you know. Oh, Claudia is just wonderful. But I just want to say this: Birmingham. Uh, Liverpool, Manchester triangle. It's a little bit like Dusseldorf and Cologne. So Correct. there we have another connection going on. Um, Claudia Brooken, of course, was in uh, uh, Propaganda and um, she recorded this in the studio. Um, was that, that was in OMD's studio in Liverpool, wasn't it? Uh, is it in Liverpool? I thought it's London. Is huh? it in London with Paul Humphreys? Yeah. From OMD. Ah, okay, that's in London. Yeah, is so... It? Why, how did that come about? Was, it, was she someone you approached or was that someone that Peter approached? No, Peter didn't know her about that. Um, did not know all too much about propaganda. And um, she was my second um, idea. My first idea was uh, like on the, on, on, on the last album, um, Miriam Suarez, um, she sang, she's from Essen. It's a city near Düsseldorf in the Ruhrgebiet. And uh, she's half Spanish and half German. She has a wonderful voice. And she sang on my last album, uh, different songs. And I always wanted to have her, to have a complete uh, track to sing. Now she is the back singer in many of our songs, like also in, um, in Say No and others. But uh, I could not reach her in that time. She's sometimes difficult to reach. I don't know why, but she's a wonderful and beautiful young girl, one woman meanwhile. And um, anyway, I did not reach her then. I tried and tried. And then I thought, who could sing the song? And suddenly, I don't know why, I came on the idea to ask Claudia, which I know since long. And I had met her the last time in Dusseldorf, I think it's four years ago when this uh, Kraftwerk concert was in, 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 in the open air region, in, in, the, in the museum area, you know. And we had a big party afterwards without Kraftwerk and many artists were there in, 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 in the restaurant, in the brewery restaurant on Oststraße, also with, um, um, with, a, with a, um, ah, the drummer of Duff, all that girl. Oh, that girl was also there. So, so many artists were there and um, publishers uh, from, from record guys and A&Rs, so many people. And Claudia was sitting between them with her girlfriend. 
uh, Susanne. And then suddenly uh, we spoke a little bit after the uh, after the after the dinner in, in in a bar. We all went and had some drinks. And I took I said, would, "Would you not do something with me once in the future?" It was not already Birmingham, but just a talk. She said, "Of course, anytime. Ask me then." And that came up, and then I asked her, I sent her an email, and she said immediately, yes, send me the melody, send me the lyrics, why not? Yeah, we sent her the back, the background music, and I sang uh, the songs with my, oh, not so good singing. It was pretty bad, but she at least, I was not a good singer, and I'm, I'm still not a good singer. But anyway, for this track, we needed a good singer, not, not with this, this speech singing style, which I present in the other tracks. But um, yeah, she, she said, it's lovely, it's lovely. Oh, I, it's really lovely. I love to do it. And she uh, give, gave something from her own melody in the back, in the end of her, and uh, of, of the melodies. And it was wonderful. When it came back, she said, my, um, I demand to sing it here, not in you in, in your studio in Dusseldorf, because I invited her to my home where I always record myself and I can do pretty well here. But she said, okay, I agree to everything. What's, what's your um, idea? She said, uh, Paul Humphreys, please. And um, yeah, I said, go ahead. And she did it there. She feels well with them. She was, I think, married with them. So they know each other very, very well. And it's good if you have a good, um, a good connection to the technician or to the musician who's working with you. She does not know me musically so much. So maybe she was a bit shy or I don't know. Um, it was fine at least. You're listening to Pop, The History Makers, with me, Steve Blame. I mean, you say that you're, you're not a singer, in inverted commas, but you, in a, in, you've developed your voice um, mm -hmm. over the years, and you hear that on this, on, on this album. How has that come about? Because that must have been, you know, some form of process over the years yeah. to do that. So how have you achieved that? Uh, my label partner from Sherry Red Records, which is Barnaby Ashton Bullock, uh, he's friendly with me. Meanwhile, we are good friends since uh, the Eloquence album. He said, Wolfgang, there are some spots on the Eloquence album, which I still like very much. And it's a start for you. I hear that. Do me a favor. Sing more, please, sir. Sing, sing, sing. We love to hear your voice even if it's not the brilliant uh, orchestra thing, but we love Germans to sing. It's better than Ralph sings. So please do me the favor on the next album. I said, okay, sir, I try. And I took some lessons as well, I, I promise. And um, I had some good uh, technique and Peter is also helping me with a little, little bit auto-tune, but not much, he says, you are becoming better and better. And on the last track we recorded, he said, we don't need auto-tune anymore. So, uh, but sometimes we do uh, um, uh, we, we do an octave deeper or an octave higher on my voice. You know the same uh, voice we can record, and that has to to refresh it a little bit. So there are some tricks inside that at least um, people can 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 relish it a bit. I mean, it is a sort of reinvention of you as well, because I presume you sang in your early bands. You were yes. also singing. <laughs> and this time, you know, on tracks like Electric Sheep that you hear 
um, your voice coming through. Um, and this reinvention, and I sort of, I can really understand that because when I lost my job, which was effectively losing my career back at my Viva time in the mid nineties, I went through the wilderness for about 10 years. Your wilderness was also quite a long um, period, wasn't it? How important was that period to your development? Because when I look back at that period, I see it as the actual fundament of what I can do today. And it changed me massively. So how do you see that 10 years? Yeah, these 10 years were uh, absolutely uh, important to me. I could have done like Carl, my other very, very nice colleague from Kraftwerk. He left Kraftwerk a year after me and he was um, making also his own music with um, electric music. That was his band's name. And um, he did many songs in the Kraftwerk style because he thought he must do absolutely Kraftwerk music because he thought that they don't do them. So I have to do. And he wanted to, to do the better Kraftwerk songs than anyone else, you know. And you can speak Reinkommen. My wife wants to see you. Oh, lovely. Hi. Hi. Nice to meet you. I, I, spoke with, I spoke with her about you and that you were my first interviewer. With the little I, I, don't, I don't know uh, who is he. Yeah. Who are you? Who I am. I, yeah, you know In me. My <laughs> Your wife doesn't know he, you. Yeah. He's funny. He's always kidding and funny, making jokes on Sometimes me. Sometimes the fans... Uh, want from me uh, on gigs come to backstage with me I say I don't know who is it I'm here from stuff I don't know <laughs> I heard... that's the best that's the best <laughs> way to kidding. treat them <laughs> she, she films all my shows with a big camera you know she is a very good filmer so she <laughs> with me on my shows and films yeah Oh, fantastic. That's fantastic. Well, it's yeah. lovely to see you. <laughs> no, that's really great. Um, no, going back to, let's go back to Electric Sheep. Yeah, because these 10 we, years, yeah. yeah. These 10 years were very important to me because um, I, I saw me not able to make music then because I was not, I did not feel like a, a musician who produces music. I was a drummer then, as you remember. And to find my musicality, I needed a long, long distance from Kraftwerk. So what did I have to do? I must, uh, I have to do, I have to earn money for my rent, you know, and for my eat. And so I made furniture design in these 10 years. So uh, everything what I learned before was helping me. So um, um, when, when I was studying interior design and I have my apprenticeship as a carpet maker and anything, was helping for me. And I was, again, happy with that. With two other guys, we made the GAF, GRF studio, and we had very, very good offers for furniture design for rich Dusseldorf people. We have a lot of rich living in, in our town, in our city, from uh, lawyers, from doctors, and from photographers. And uh, we made very, very elegant uh, Bauhaus-style furniture for them. So I thought, this is my future now. I did not think on music. Maybe this was good, that I came far away from music, you know. But sometimes Florian stepped in. He was the only one to visit me sometimes because he liked me much and I him. So it was always a bit making me sad, thinking about the old times. And he was always promising, Wolfgang, we will make a new tour. We will record new, new music. I promise you, then you come back 
it did not happen. But um, I, I also said to him, I think, I think I would not do it again. And I'm finished with this, you know, because they anyway did not need a drama anymore. And just uh, to push some little knobs on 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 a, on, on a switchboard for programmed music, sequenced drums, uh, that was not my style to go with them on stage. I need drums, you know, the electric drums. Anyway, um, these ten years until 1993, when I started with this uh, new song. Um, was very important to me that I kept away from the from the from this virus Kraftwerk in me to get it out, like I had taken antibiotica to get this virus out. You know, it needed time uh, to get uh, to get new 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 healing from an illness, which was in the end I felt ill because it, everything ended so bad for me, you know, and also for them. The feeling between us four was really no more good, long time. After 81, which is, was the peak of Kraftwerk from my view, with the computer world, everything was rubbish. So the last album was done not really by heart. It was called Coffee and everything else was called Coffee because the others were only with their bicycles. They had new interests, new gears, new machines and new uh, interests of techniques and so, but, but that was not my thing and also not Carl's. So um, I was visiting Carl in, in this time pretty often in his own studio at Stockholmstrasse. And um, when he produced with Lothar Manteuffel his first tracks on, uh, but I always spoke with him. I said, it's, it's like you were in Kraftwerk, you know? And he said, yeah. Yeah, I, I want I want to continue that because they don't do, and maybe maybe the, I, I would not rate this, but maybe that was not not the right idea because as long as Kraftwerk are still alive and bringing their shows, there must not be someone else to bring Kraftwerk music, even if he was very important to them, and I must repeat again and again how important Karl was in the last album since um, the Man Machine, I think, his writing. His writing sessions, which he de describes in his own books, were so important to them that without him, there were only less albums, maybe the half of them. So good because Carl was so involved, you know. I mean, you say that uh, in that period, one thing that really was paramount was not to repeat Kraftwerk, but there are nods to Kraftwerk in in your work, obviously. So you're not sort of denying that part of, of your life. And if you look at Night Drive, you <laughs> I have this. read that. I have he read that. Absolutely the same. And I, he starts with that already. You cannot get Kraftwerk out of his head. I was a, I was a bit, I was a bit um, against that. But if they start with that, you know, I can remember with my first album, Time Park, there was a Tim Barr. He was the editor of Future Music then in 1979, 1997. He came to Dusseldorf Extra and made a two-day uh, interview with me. And his article in, in the sound, uh, in, in the future uh, music, started with this word. And does it sound like Kraftwerk? So this is always wanted. Always the journalists ask me hope that they get a little spread of something. Give me a little craft back, you know. And um, I cannot say that I plan this in my music, uh, which is in my 
in my uh, personality, in, in, in my veins, is the melodies. And that was, as we already described already before, from my mother's side, you know, this musicality. But I had to invent that. I had to see that first um, after Kraftwerk. It's crazy. So, so tell me about Night Drive then, the track on the album. Yeah, that was a very um, difficult thing to, to go into this. Uh, it was also a little soundtrack in, with maps as a, as a, as a music music um, it's a it's a music uh, project from from a friend of Peter and Max Wheeler is the guy and he made a big interview with us in London when we played Peter is always playing as a support to me on my shows and we had uh, I think it was um, I was it where was it under the bridge or in another club or oh, nee, we, we made I think uh, yeah we played the club 100 this old uh, old fashioned club. And um, in our hotel uh, um, restaurant on the next morning after the breakfast, Max Miller, he made a long uh, interview with us. It's already on YouTube also. And Peter said, he's a very good musician and he wanted to do something with you if you would not mind. He said, send us something. And a little soundtrack, but he said, did not really touch me in the first moment. Um, I laid it beside Aside, and we had uh, work on different things. A year later, maybe it came up, and he always asked me, um, "Would you mind to take it again? And do you have an idea?" And then I had a little idea of of one melody inside. It's a bit spooky because I mean, this this theme. Um, his theme was um, 4 a.m. With 4 a.m., I have nothing to do. Normally, normally I sleep then. And, but there is a nice little story from, uh, from the singer inside. She's talking about uh, Night Drive. And I thought, okay, we, may, we, we call it Night Drive. And I tell my own story about Night Drives or not Night Drives. But everyone is talking about any drive of a band, of an artist to a place where they play. And I could uh, say, okay, then I tell something from my former band when we played in Paris the first time with, and we drove with a train to there with a TEE. And the Trans Europe is an, ex, it's an example for me where, where I was in the best time with Kraftwerk because it's absolutely my favorite since all, all Kraftwerk albums. And I think I, I must remind the people a little bit on that. And um, then I spoke and I, I wrote my lyrics about this drive to Paris and um, yeah, it grew, but it, it took time. It took time and it changed different. It was a very, very uh, long time to work on that. It was difficult to get it into a shape like it is today. We put it aside so often and took it on. And then we had this very complicated uh, soundtrack inside. I thought, Peter, we must have something because it's it's became longer and longer and longer, and it's it's like a, a road movie, like a autobahn maybe. So we have to have a, a soundtrack inside with the train uh, running over the track, da -dum, da -dum, da -dum, da -dum, something which, which is hard, which is comes from steel, from the sounds outside with the ju ju and anything. And he said, okay, I go with that. Give give me a week, and he produced this pretty alone without me. I only give my words afterwards inside. And I said, wow, that's the so-called so third level. I love third levels in tracks to go ahead in a completely different level and then later come back to the music into a chorus or to speak 
to continue the story, you know? And this is a trick of me, Peter says, this is, this is something you really can do very well. We need always a third level in a song and, and that, it, that this, the, the string dance is not so boring, you know? Just to repeating always the first and the chorus and the verse and the chorus, and maybe we high in, high in, in, in the end of some notes and, okay, this is the usual thing people do, but some can really produce very good third levels, which is, um, yeah, throwing you away into the atmosphere, and then you are landing back, <laughs> you must try to get into the song again. This is um, something, that's a very good description how we work together. Sometimes the tracks need very long time until they have the shape and no idea from the start how it ends. Everything happens by chance or given from above, you know? So we had so much signs from above to our music. Sometimes it was really crazy. And Peter had some ideas, the same ideas. Some We are like brothers. Peter says something, I said, exactly that wanted I just I wanted to tell to you so we had millions of emails there and back and telephones zoom calls and we sent so many files musically files uh, big files there and back thanks god that we have this strong internet today otherwise we could not have worked especially not on the corona time where we could not visit each other I mean, that track has these different perspectives going on, which you sort of mentioned in these different layers and, and coming back. And you mentioned that Peter is like a brother, but brothers disagree and brothers fight. And in a creative atmosphere, that can be important. So oh, how yeah, do you we, deal we with that? Fight. We did fight often, yeah, of course. We were loud sometimes, but that's the good thing. Uh, we always were fine afterwards, but uh, um, at least uh, it, it works fine. He was one, uh, he was a person I did not know before. And in 2015, I had an invitation to Hepton Bridge Arts Festival. It's a small town. It's one of the loveliest English towns ever I saw. And uh, the, they have that famous club, the, the Trades Club. Many bands play there. A week before us, um, Heaven 17 played there. So you won't believe that this club is full, filled, it's filled, it's stuffed in the evening. When you come there in the afternoon, nobody is in the town. It's so small, you know, but the people know it in all the cities around, they come to the famous concerts. And in that very hot June, where we were invited to the arts festival, Peter was the one uh, to invite me via email. And he picked us up at uh, uh, Leeds Bradford Airport and uh, brought us with his private car to the White Lion Hotel. That's the only one they have there in Hepton Bridge. And in that one hour drive, we became brothers already. It's sometimes very, very, uh, it needs very short when the, the physicals are different, but the, 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 the heart and the head is alike. So we were joking from the very first moment. And when you look on the backside of my album, there is a photo from him and me. We are just coming out of the hotel where we put our luggage in and we take us, on the shoulders and we are laughing at each other and we look like we they know since years and it was just one hour you said that all musicians are actors what do you mean by that by what the all musicians are actors yeah that's correct um, i see that maybe others not but i see that everyone uh, when he goes when a musician goes on the stage he plays a role that is, it has to do 
if he is a singer or he's any doing something else on the stage, plays a song, he is that song and he's completely different. I think when he goes back to the backstage or he gets home into his kitchen and cooks a meal, as I do, I love to cook, then I'm completely different. And as I am on the stage, when I am on the stage today, I am music solat. That's a very hard and strong thing to produce music. And it goes through all my veins and muscles. I'm moving and moving and music, I, I play, I play the music, I, I move my music. It's not just I put some knobs like DJs doing. I am the music. So um, in Kraftwerk, I was not allowed. I was just, okay, that, that thing on stage, that was the only live thing. When we came to the, to the edge of the stage and we danced a little bit, you know, it was the thing what the people loved most. Today, they don't move anymore. There are statues, you know, and that would not be my thing, by the way. But um, artists that go on stage, they know they present something and the people want something to them. I know, for example, um, your, um, 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 the frontman of um, the groups, Jürgen Engler. Uh, I know when he's on the stage with his leather clothes and he's dressed as a strong steel man and he hammers um, with his uh, steel uh, symphony on, on and he's, a, he's, he's seems a hard staff guy with all the others. It's so rock music, you know. And if you find him privately in the backstage, he's a very smart boy. He's, 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 like, he's like mama boy a little bit, you know. He drinks milk, he does not drink alcohol, he had never had a cigarette. He's, others would say, he's not a real man, but he is, you know. But he's different, you know. But very, very, uh, he's so wonderful, smart, a smart boy, you know. But on the, on the stage, he's completely other. It's his role. That it's, also, it's also a defense mechanism, isn't it? It's also a way of keeping part of yourself private. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Is that important to you as well, to keep part yeah. of yourself private? Yes, of course. Absolute. Well, what does that mean? <laughs> Sorry to pry. You mean... Um, what, well, what why I is do? privacy important? Why is that? Why is holding something back important? Ach, my, I, could, I, I can move myself, I can do what I want, especially in Dusseldorf, I can go to the market, I'm, I'm not famous anyway, I, I don't feel famous, also in Kraftwerk, I never feel what is fame, what feeling is this, you know, um, it's different when I'm in, in England or in other countries, I'm acknowledged much more, I must much more often give signatures or so, that has to do uh, with England and their culture of uh, and, and their understanding of their musicians. They love their musicians much more than Germans. I think you know what I mean. And um, it is very good. On the other hand, when I live in Dusseldorf and I go shopping because I am the cook at home and I love that and I go to the market or to the shops, nobody knows me. I'm an average man. And I love this being an average man. Nobody disturbs me, you know. And um, it is different when I'm in England and especially in, in my shows, so many fans are waiting before the show are already outside with millions and tons of LBs, uh, albums and CDs and, and uh, posters to, to, to have them signed or afterwards at the merch table, the row becomes longer and longer. And sometimes the, the time I have to be there and sign the things is longer than my show. So <laughs> it's, you know, it's all, that's my role, you know. And I'm happy to be then later on with my friends in the hotel back after party in the bar. 
I mean, this album, you've worked with so many other people on this album. Uh, Raymond Amesqua, uh, Mitch Ewer, Juan Atkins, uh, U96, you mentioned, Claudia Brooken mentioned, yeah. Peter Hook. I mean, there's a, a plethora, you know, of, of, of artists who are great names, very talented uh, in their own fields and all connected to you um, through this album. How fulfilling is it for you to know that all these artists are so easily prepared uh, to be part of your project or your and Peter's project, I should say? I must honestly say this was not the plan, So, but it happened. And that's what you say, I do not plan anything, it comes. It comes in that moment and I don't think and I don't, uh, uh, overthink that if, if that is a good chance or so. I mean, um, the best um, description I can give with Mitch Uhr. So I was invited from uh, a Düsseldorf friend to a concert of Mitch Uhr, of former Ultrafox, at the Savoy Theater. And I was very uh, astonished how many hits they played. So with, with his band uh, Electronica, which are not an electronic band, by, this, by the way, but uh, it, the concert was brilliant. And we were invited by his uh, tour manager um, to, the after, uh, to, the, to the backstage afterwards. And we were immediately in a very good talk. So he's so down to earth. He's so friendly and it was such a lovely talk. And um, yeah, I mean, we, we said goodbye after an hour or so. And, and he said, I'm in Dusseldorf again in the end of the year, Wolfgang. Would, would we meet again? I invite you to the Stahlberg as the steel company. And we were, the, of course, did I go there? Because also the tiny magnetic pads, they played there. Uh, the support, and I had already done with them a collaboration song for their album. And so we knew, knew each other and it might be, uh, could have been a nice party to see all of them back. And it was, the after party was two hours in their room and uh, so many people and uh, personal friends from him, from Belgium were there and uh, Tiny Magic Pets and my friend Carsten Sievert was in. And then uh, Mitch Orr came alongside to me and we, we went into a corner of that big room and had a glass of champagne. And he said, Wolfgang, should we not do something together? And I said, that's exactly I wanted to ask you. You were the first. And he said, I have already an idea, but I wouldn't tell now. I said, why not? Yeah, I, I, I must work a little bit fun. Give me some time. Okay, okay, okay. Wonderful, because I'm just in, in, in the recording of my new album, which shall be called Collaborators, and then you would be one of them. Ah, oh, said, it would be an honor to work with you. And I said, okay. And uh, it took some weeks, I think, or a month at least, uh, to have a draft from him on my computer. And I said, wow, what is this? It was called Das Beat. At a speed. My first thought as, um, was, it must it, it must be the der beat. In German, we have this article, der die das. And but I thought the speed. Maybe if it's wrong, he it tells it so nicely. It it sounds so charming. So so English wrong, but so good in German. Das beat. And I asked him why das beat, and he said, Yeah, it's in reminiscence to you, Wolfgang. You are the electric drummer, Wolfgang. We English uh, artists, we musicians. When we think on electronic drum, we, we think on you, it's you. That's reminiscent. So I write, wrote some lyrics and maybe you write anything else or go ahead with what I have done. So it was a wonderful melody and it was a special um, music behind him 
pretty English, pretty British. And um, it was okay to me, but it was not electrifying me enough. I said it to Peter, I said, we must electrify it more in our style. And our idea, so my idea and uh, Mitch Boer's idea was that we do two versions. That was from the start, we had uh, um, agreed to that. Everyone does his own version for his album because he's also working on a new album. And um, I think it's already out, I'm not sure. So we started to electrify it and I wrote my lyrics and uh, sang it in my style, my, my way of the speech, what rhythm and uh, the, the, the daily structure has to be with us. The speech is always uh, organizing us and always dictating us. So it dictates our daily structure. That was the start of my idea. And so we make that duo singing. See, he sings, I sing, and I added some killer melodies on that. I call them killer melodies because they won't go out of your ears, you know. So um, uh, that's a talent I had to uh, uh, detect in myself. I did not know that before, that I have this talent for such melodies, which are in the tracks and also in the speed. So that came, everything came wonderful together. And that was a track. We needed the shortest time to get it finished. Two or three days, it was done. With the album, there's also a, a magazine, which in this magazine is, you know, obviously all the explanation and the background of the, of the tracks and the people that you work with. And you mentioned Florian earlier and how you'd met him um, a few times in the past, but there was obviously a... Uh, a period where you hadn't seen him and then you bumped into him, um, I believe it was in Dusseldorf. Um, yeah. How important was that meeting and could you explain that meeting to me? Are you especially speaking about his last meeting with him? Your last meeting with Florian, you... Yeah, with... that was in 2016, I think, or 17, I think 16, I think. Uh, he was suddenly in a restaurant, on the Schumacher restaurant. This is a brewery, a very famous one, on uh, Oststraße. And um, it was also a restaurant we used in Kraftwerk very often because our studio was uh, walkway uh, distance. And we had in the afternoon or in the evening, we had very often there uh, our meals and had an alt beer. And so very, very famous, very delicious. So um, I still love that. And sometimes I celebrate my, my birthday parties. It was one of them that dates. And it was not my birthday, but another friend of mine had a birthday. And we sat with six people on a table. And uh, some of my friends uh, kicked up on my shoe under the, under the table and said, in your back, maybe, I think it's Florian sitting behind you at the next table with two ladies, a black lady and a white lady, young, beautiful girls. Maybe it's him. And I thought to myself, I haven't seen him so long now. What, how should I react? And I did not know. And I thought, I look a little bit up this, the ceiling and this wonderful architecture and the paintings to have a chance to have a little bit of my twinkle to see what's happening behind me. And it was Florian. I, I knew now it is him exactly. And I did not know at the first moment how to react after so many years and we had a little uh, query about my book, but, but we, what I wrote and they didn't want to write me that you remember about this, this stupid thing we had. But now we were older and I had forgiven everything. And um, I mean, it, 
it, it was it was childish what, what they did and they didn't want to uh, to write me a book about my life and my feelings anyway everything was in the air and i wanted to have a, a good a good feeling now a good uh, a good level a good statement I did not know how to do. I drink another beer and 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 a little uh, a little corn we had, you know. This is schnapps, little of schnapps, and but it, we were in a, in, already in a funny uh, level. And suddenly, I had I felt a hand on my shoulder, and I looked up and said, "Florian," I, I did very astonished. I, I can't believe that even if I knew that he was sitting behind, it was him to come to me. And I found that very, very nice. I stood up immediately and we were standing very close at each other, smiling. And I felt suddenly to take him in my arms, to embrace him. We never did that before when we were young. So we had to be old and wise men to do this. And he, 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 he liked it. I, I could... I could feel that he liked it, but he was, I felt he was very thin, a little bit shivering. So he was not stable standing. I felt something is wrong with him. I did not see him so slender, you know, but it was anyway, it was nice. And then I leaned over with my, with my, with my mouth, mouth very near to his ear and said, uh, Florian, thank you for all these wonderful 15 years we had together. And he said, Correct, Wolfgang. These were the best years. And then I said, I'm in a new album. And I said, thank you for your wonderful song you did. I have heard it against the pollution in the ocean plastic. So uh, against plastic, so save the fish. I'm so happy that you're still making music. And it's such a lovely song. I'm also doing new music. And he said, Wolfgang, this is also good that you make music. And I said, would you mind to make a collaboration? He said, we will do. We will do. So that was the last what we sat together. And then we invited him with his both ladies to sit at our table and to celebrate with us, but they denied, they, they said no time. So it's your thing, but it's nice that you met you and we spoke some words together. That was very absolute important to me after all these years that at least with him, I had a nice conversation. I did not know that his dad was so near. That was really a shock to me. I mean, I found that that um, story. It's very beautiful. It's very sad, but it, it, there's also a positivity to it because the relationships we have in our lives sometimes don't close or end in in a positive way. And right. here, there is some form of small positive end yeah. to to the relationship before he died, which yeah. I think was really lovely. Um, as I started uh, this interview, and I mentioned that I really believe this is a masterpiece, which I do, and I want to go back to what Borchardt uh, did with his art, as it were, and he, in a sense, got rid of the past to show the body of work that he wanted to be out there and to say, this is me, this is what I can really do, and this is my work. And that's what I felt really strongly from listening to this album, that this is the Wolfgang Fleur album from beginning to end, and it is that development that you've had over the years. And I'm not wiping away the past to any extent, because all past is important, but this is the present and the current, and this is your masterpiece. 
and I really wanted to congratulate you for that. Thank you very much, sir. Very much. So Wolfgang, I have one regret in my life. I don't normally have regrets at all, but I remember a woman, and I think she was called Diana, Diana, and on a plane to London, she came up to me and gave me a note from you and said, this is from Wolfgang Kluwer. He'd like you to come and visit him in his studio. And I, I don't, he's looking at me like, I don't remember a thing. So maybe I've just dreamt it up. But I have this head thing in my head that, that I never took this up because I was at that low point in those 10 years in my life where I wasn't able to move or do anything. And um, whenever you're next in the studio or you're doing something, I would love to come and visit you and, uh, and see how that goes. Yeah, okay. Why not? <laughs> okay, Wolfgang. Thank you again for the interview, and I hope to see you again one day. Yes. Okay. We will organize. Uh, where are you living at? Me, at least. Uh, I'm in uh, Cologne. You know, I'm in the uh, Liverpool to uh, Birmingham. Birmingham. <laughs> this is this is very near. I can come over for a cup of coffee in the in, in the next time. So we speak a bit more and have some cakes and coffee. Yeah. And wonderful. It wonderful. It was very nice talking to you again after such a long time. Unbelievable. So nice that we got in contact again. Yeah, no, I think so as well. It's wonderful. So thank you, Wolfgang, and thank you thank really you. for your contribution to music. And thank your wife, who made a little appearance yes, <laughs> in this. It was wonderful. Okay, I will see you again. Bye. Bye-bye. Cheers. Hi, I'm Megan Rinks. And I'm Melissa D. Montz. And like every other person with access to a microphone, we started a podcast. On Mondays, we release Don't Blame Me, which is an advice podcast where listeners call in and we share our thoughts on situations such as what to do if you're going to your boyfriend's family function and you haven't told him that you previously slept with both his twin brothers. Then on Thursdays, we release our podcast, But Am I Wrong?, where we ethically gossip about pop culture, politics, our lives, and your lives. Listeners write in and we tell them if they're wrong or right in a situation. Are you the hero or the villain? On Tuesdays and Fridays, we throw in a little something extra as well. A little something, something. We strive to create a community grounded in activism, mental health, and inclusivity. Think of us as like your blunt, honest friends who give you advice that you need to hear, not what you want to hear. But we're also always rooting for your success. What we lack in credentials, we make up for in... Opinions. We do that in every episode, too. <laughs> we're professional unprofessionals, so if you're looking for a new slate of podcasts to add to your routine, we're here for you. ACAST, A-cast. 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 recommends. recommends.